0: Welcome to Home and Identity, a podcast examining the meaning of these words in the lives of immigrants and expats. I am your host and producer of this podcast, Sarah Torrey. My guest Callie was born and raised in a small town in Connecticut when she found her love for traveling and learning about other cultures. She briefly moved outside of the United States during her college years, and once she graduated, she decided to move abroad more permanently. She told me about the reasons why and about her experiences along the way, as well as some of the challenges she faced. This is the first part of our conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Callie. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself to everyone and uh, tell us about what age range you're in? Hello. Um, thank you for
1: having me. I'm really excited. Uh, my name is Callie Riemann. I am a U.S. American living in Germany, and I am 28 years old.
0: So going a little bit back, tell me where you came from uh, in the U.S. Sure. We'll start from the beginning. So I <laughs> beginning am from a, yeah,
1: a very small town in Connecticut um, on the shoreline. And um, so there's only 7,000 people in the town. Um, okay. And so it's a kind of town where everybody knows everybody and is up in everybody's business. Um, <laughs> but it was a really lovely childhood because um, every birthday party was a beach party because I'm a summer baby and uh, nice. we lived on the beach. So that was easy. Um, lots of bonfires. Um, My mom's a preschool, or was a preschool teacher, uh, so she made things interesting or always kept us entertained, Um, but they, I didn't leave the country until I was 10, um, Hmm. and we went to St. Martin, so an island, um, like a tropical island, which is very lovely, and that's where my parents always tend to go to, (laughs) so... And they're kind of these typical U.S. Americans when they travel, um, they like to stay at the resort and not leave or have any kind of cultural experience, which is what I'm not about. (laughs) I'm like the opposite kind of person. So even my first trip when I was 10 years old, I was out leaving the resort, feeding the street dogs, going to the local market, eating sugar cane. And my parents were like, who is this child? (laughs) So I tried to make the most of it, but I wasn't exposed, actually, to too, too many other cultures. Uh, mm-hmm. The small town I'm from is like, or was when I was growing up, extremely middle class white. Okay. Uh, yeah. So,
0: Do you think maybe that was the reason why you were drawn to these uh, uh, different kinds of environments once you started seeing that? Yeah, I think I was always, I was always interested in being
1: different, but also meeting people who are different from me. Um, that was something always really interesting for me. Uh, I don't know. I think people like us, maybe, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you. But people who are expats have always had this kind of fondness for what's out there and who mm-hmm. who are these people and cultures um, and their background. So that's always interested me and I can't really explain why it's just a <laughs> part
0: of me. It's always been there. Maybe tell me a little bit about um, how you got started with, with traveling abroad and your interest of finding out about other cultures, because as you mentioned that at age 10, you were already um, finding yourself sort of off the beaten path and not in the resort and sort of maybe that's where your interest sparked to find out more, but how did you really get into this mode of traveling and wanting to learn more about other cultures?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, my parents weren't traveling a lot. Um, I always wanted to travel. And um, for me, I try to travel as much as possible Financially and physically possible uh, mm-hmm. as early on, um and one of the things I wanted to do was get out of Connecticut. So I for me, that was already, you know, traveling and a different culture. So I did my bachelor's in North Carolina, mm-hmm. which honestly was more of a culture shock, I think, than living in Guatemala, for example, or in Germany.
0: Um, Tell me a little bit about yeah. that. How was that, and why was that a big culture shock for you? There are just so many
1: differences between uh, us Yankees up in (laughs) uh, New England and in being in the South. Um, And North Carolina isn't even really, and in Raleigh was not like deep South. But there were so many things I learned about about race and identity and navigating racism and injustice um and I was mm-hmm. studying social work uh, mm-hmm. with a with a bunch of people with a bunch of different um backgrounds so that was really interesting and eye-opening but at the same time um I was a white person and mm-hmm. I think people of other minorities didn't necessarily feel comfortable and for good reason because all of the other white people I met there were pretty terrible people. So oh. I had one friend uh, and we stuck together and we were always wondering, you know, why, why aren't we clicking with other people? Why are we not making other friends? Um, and one of the reasons we realized is just because we're pretty liberal people
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we're in a very conservative uh at a very conservative university and in a conservative area. So actually Mm -hmm. she moved up North (laughs) and she's having a great time making lots of friends. So, um, and I moved away also. I was like, I can't live here. Unfortunately, I'm just not, it's not my scene. It's I'm not meshing with these people as, as much as I would have loved to. So.
0: Yeah. So do you think that, um, and I know these are very sensitive topics, but I'm, also very interested in the topics of diversity and inclusivity. Do you think, um, and also your major that you're studying, um, social studies, correct? Social work, yeah. Social work. um, It does touch sort of, not just touch, but kind of goes deeply into a lot of these social issues that we are dealing with, such as diversity, such as racism, such as um, various backgrounds that folks come from and how do we communicate and how do we um, make it possible for us to sort of live in a society that maybe we can be friends, even, even though we may have different ideologies and different perspective of things. From your experience, it seems though that that really did not quite happen for you and your friend, hence having to move out of the area. Do you think part of it was because it was such a um, it was such a community that things were deeply woven into their beliefs and their culture that there was really no room to penetrate into it? Yeah, I think honestly, at, at
1: a certain point, it's really difficult to unlearn things, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of what I did at university was was learning and listening and also unlearning some biases I had. Um, But unfortunately, most of the other uh, white people in the room weren't really open to hearing and having these conversations and felt very attacked and took everything extremely personally. Um, I think we don't grow up in the U.S. also openly talking about race. I think it Mm -hmm. does make people uncomfortable, but I Mm -hmm. think it's something that obviously these discussions need to be had. So sure. we did have open conversations about, um, you know, gay rights and, and also sexism and uh, racism and Islamophobia and all these kinds of topics. And you just saw, you know, people of like minorities being very vulnerable and being talking about their experiences and white people in the room, just shutting off and being mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm here to learn about engineering or something maybe yeah, yes. Yeah. And, and they're not really open to, to learning about such a valuable topic, uh, which right, obviously right. helps in every field of life, including engineering. But yeah, um, yeah it, unfortunately we, I just, that really hurt me and I, met so many people who were really discouraging. And my friend and I, um, we started a, basically a feminism group on campus and we faced a lot of hate from a lot of people. Yeah. And we were like, okay, maybe this isn't where we are going to be growing. I mean, at some point you want to be the ones to really push progress, but you get quite burnt out, I think. And uh, yeah, decide if if you're lucky enough and um, privileged enough to move to some place that's more accepting of you than than you do.
0: Yeah. And I think that's definitely a, an extremely important topic to talk about because as you mentioned, a lot of the times when uh, these uh, questions come up and these discussions are happening, many times uh, folks that may not have had, experiences or exposure to these difficulties that some other people have faced, um, they do take it a bit personal and they do feel that maybe they're being attacked or maybe this doesn't really concern them in their daily life. So why should I care? That kind of mm-hmm. uh, question. And interestingly enough, um, I don't think this is just something that uh, is specific uh, to North Carolina, in this case, Um, Mm. I've I've seen these discussions happen um, in other parts of the world as well, in Europe as well, which was kind of interesting to me, you
1: know? (laughs) No, I mean, I don't mean to say, oh, you can just escape racism, for example, by leaving North Carolina. But I think... Pe- racist people are more brazen and bold and
0: feel much more accepted in certain places than others. And, and have a louder voice too a lot mm. of times because um, because the community uh, in it itself may not want to um, sort of advertise this kind of ideology. But because you have more people with the same um, ideas and same beliefs in things maybe it feels a little bit more strongly (laughs) uh, believed or um, spoken about in those areas. So yeah, I, I, I completely understand it. There's um, I always poke fun at these things. I like to push boundaries whenever I can. And I like to go outside of the, the box that a lot of times people put around us Mm. and, and it makes people uncomfortable. And that's okay. I don't mind. It's a good uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Yeah. If it sparks a conversation, if it sparks a a thought, even Mm -hmm. that you as a person you believe in something very strongly, and if I can just spark a little hint of a thought in your mind that hey, maybe there is a different way to it, then I feel like my job is done. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So you did mention that you um, lived in Guatemala um, yes. and the other places and oh. tell about those experiences and how yes. then you started kind of moving that direction and what you you briefly talked about your, your work. So tell me a little bit about what you do as well. Yeah. Okay.
1: So when I was at uh, university and at NC State in North Carolina, um, I just really wanted to get out of the U.S. <laughs> um, and I, it was always my dream to go uh, to Africa, specifically to see Victoria Falls. Um, And my dad basically was like, no, if I'm paying for it, it's not happening. And so, um, and I also didn't have a lot of money. The the education system in the U.S. is very expensive. Um, So we chose the cheapest program possible, which was Guatemala. And I didn't know anything about it. And I just, I I loved Spanish. So I went there with an open mind, <laughs> very quickly joined the program. And then within two weeks was in Guatemala um, for two months. Hmm. And it was so lovely. It was one of the best places I've ever traveled to. Um, and I was working at an elderly center, <laughs> okay. making tortillas full time, which is interesting really cob cool. yeah i became a professional tortilla maker you just make them by hand um, i have some business
0: ideas for you for hamburg but yeah 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 um
1: yeah so it was definitely not what i thought i was signing up for and also in the the elderly center um i love old people so i was super happy to be there but i couldn't communicate with anybody because even though i could speak spanish Uh, the Mayan elderly people only speak um, the Mayan uh, language. So this amazing ancient language that has absolutely nothing to do with Spanish because colonialism (laughs) happened much later. Um, But so there was quite a barrier, but they were happy that I was giving them my partially misshapen tortillas. (laughs) 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 Um, Amazing. Yes. So it was a lovely experience. and. Yeah, then I went back and finished my bachelor's, but I really wanted to continue traveling, but was out of money. So mm-hmm. then I looked into, how do you travel without any money? And I found out I could be an au pair. So, okay. um, yeah. so free, free rent, basically, and you're getting paid a little bit and um, free food. So I then after my bachelor's, I moved to Austria to take care of some some children. Um, Mm -hmm. and it was unfortunately kind of a negative experience, but that was my first start in, in Europe. So, um, okay.
0: so I have two questions for you. Sorry. Um, sorry to cut you off. Um, and, and, and one of it is uh, quite a personal question. So please feel free to say, um, no, (laughs) it's none of my business to know, but you mentioned that, um, your dad was against you going outside of the U S And was that because he was concerned about your safety? It was something that was unknown to him, so he was worried about that? Or it was more of, um, I just am against this kind of nomad-style living? (laughs) Yeah. What was the reason? So my dad was specifically against
1: me going to the entire continent of Africa, uh, Mm. partially because... Like most U.S. Americans, uh, he was quite geographically challenged um, and not (laughs) up to date on what's what's going on in each country. But Mm -hmm. he was just really worried about my safety, which was the ironic part of him, like, then allowing me to go to Guatemala because he had never (laughs) heard of Guatemala and had no idea how unsafe it was. But uh, I mean,
0: but maybe geographically was a little bit closer. So he was a little bit more comfortable with that. I don't know. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know. It's not even that close. (laughs) I thought he just had, because uh, of Fox News or something, these bad ideas of of other countries. But he is still, I've been in Germany now for almost eight years. Mm. Um, And he still is concerned about, like, if there's a stabbing in Paris. He's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm nowhere near Paris, but I'm fine, you know? So I think it's just a dad protection thing and and also unknowing what's going on in the world but are you okay so I
0: think he's getting more comfortable with it because I travel quite often quite a bit yeah and then you mentioned about your experience as an au pair and uh, that's interesting because um, my previous guest also went um, she actually went to Germany as an au pair and didn't have the the smoothest of experiences are you comfortable talking a bit about that and Why wasn't that a good experience for you without, you know, giving me all the details about the family and so on? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, I think part of it was that there were three kids. Um, They were like eight, five, and three. And they didn't speak any English or understand any English when I arrived. And so nobody understood me. They were very frustrated by me speaking another language and so within the few months that I was there I just ended up learning their language and dialect and they didn't learn anything from me and so obviously that's not what's supposed to happen and the parents were very upset and I understood it but I also was like I've never taken care of three young children at the same time I was 20 okay <laughs> so I, I was very overwhelmed without the language barrier yeah, um yeah. and uh I mean just the different ages and I you're a mom so I feel like oh, you yeah. know how overwhelming oh, it yes. can be I and understand. then if they don't understand <laughs> you so and then <sighs> in the end uh the family found out a way basically to get a free family caretaker which is not an au pair paid for by mm-hmm. the government and they kicked me out overnight so,
0: <laughs> Oh. Uh, yeah, I was then
1: without a visa, without a home, and uh, it was. Oh my gosh! Luckily, yes. you know, I had a. I was establishing a relationship with my now husband, uh, mm. which was then, you know, launched into full. I'm coming to live with you. Please take care of me. Um, which is not ideal because I mean, we had never lived together. We were not that serious. So then, all
0: of a sudden, I was like, I'm here. <laughs> But you know, it sometimes it happens and, and it's fine. And I, I kind of had a similar experience with my husband, but it's what you mentioned about kids is it's absolutely understandable because I I have two kids and they are mine and I love yeah. them dearly and it's overwhelming. So yeah. that said, also throwing another language and another culture, it's it, it's I can only imagine how frustrating the situation is must have been for for you as well as for them and just kind of yeah m- making it almost impossible for you to even feel like you were contributing anything to their lives and vice versa. So it's yeah, I can only imagine. Um so you <laughs> but the good thing is that you did meet your husband and he was there and uh worked out, which which is great. So tell me a little bit about then uh transition. So you were in Austria and um, if I remember correctly, your husband is from South of Germany. Is that yes. correct? Or, okay, correct. great. Yeah. And then, so how was that transition then going into Germany and finding uh, a way to stay there? What was the process for you like? Navigating the visa
1: process in Germany is a nightmare. I'm going to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, <laughs> unless you are a doctor or a scientist or, or making a ton of money. Um mm-hmm. Because then I think it's easy. And I was told that by the foreigner's office often. Mm-hmm. Um, so long story short, I first got kicked out of the country.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> and
1: then I had to apply again. But I was kind of like, okay, there's nothing for me now. I guess I'm mm-hmm. going back to the U.S. Um, I've got this debt for my bachelor's to work yeah. off. And um, I, I guess I can't stay. And my, well, pretty fresh boyfriends at the time, his parents were really like, you know, our son is happy with you. We really want you to stay, which was really that's nice. nice. Um, and they were like, why don't you start do a master's? And I was like, I don't speak German and yeah. I don't have money. And they said, okay, but what if we found you a dream program that's in English and free? And I was like, that oh, that's doesn't amazing. exist. And then we did, we found, we looked online and we found one and I was like, perfect. That's so crazy. I ended up staying now gonna in Germany. I'm going to ask you to share that program with me because yeah, we probably have people want to know about this. Yeah, this, the, my university in Germany was amazing. It, it's full of international students from, from Pakistan, from india from bangladesh from mexico australia everyone uh ghana we all met at this university because we
0: all googled wow. free english-speaking <laughs> universities in but Germany. how is it No, I, I have so many questions now but how, how is it free and do you have to come from a certain background for it to be free like who pays no. for the program government the german government does fantastic and, okay and
1: actually while i was at um Are during the pandemic, the the German government even paid foreign students money to help support us, which was amazing. Oh wow, Um, that's amazing. Yeah, so (laughs) I know my dad was very skeptical of the program too. He was like, "Why would a Why would a country pay for education (laughs) for foreigners?" And I was like, "Maybe because they value education for everybody." And uh, they also have a lot of people who want to stay in Germany and work mm-hmm. there for the rest of their lives. Um, and Germany has a low birth rate
0: right now. So they're hoping <laughs> to so they attract
1: foreigners. <laughs>
0: exactly. um, so did they also provide the visa for you? Um, I mean, yes, the student visa, visa is probably provided. But then what happens afterwards? Do they give you, do they find you a job? Do they assist you with that as well? No, so you have to get your own student
1: visa, basically. You get this approval or this acceptance letter. You get mm-hmm. the student visa on your own a bit uh, with this letter. Um, afterwards, oh, I don't want to be wrong, but I think you have s- six to 12 months, I think, to find mm-hmm. a job. Okay. Um, So you can stay for that long. You can also get an extension on that. Um, mm-hmm. And then hopefully you found a job Honestly, I don't. I couldn't afford to not have a job, so I yeah. had to have a job. And then you get um, some kind of like visa based off of your work.
0: Okay. And was the job had to be? So did the job have to be related to what you studied, or could it be anything? Did they not care at all? As it has as to, as to be related to goes?
1: your studies, I believe. Okay. Somewhat related. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, I, my visa is now based off my
0: marriage, so I don't know yeah, that much sure. about the the other one. So we won't we won't put you as the <laughs> reference. Yeah, I really but... don't
1: wanna like
0: be giving out a bunch of technical
1: information. It was also like five <laughs> years so. ago. Yeah, I know. I'm just imagining people going to the foreigner office and be like citing me as a source. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no please don't cite Callie yeah. as a source at <laughs> all so then tell me about this master's program what did you study and then um, what do you do for work maybe now or what did you do at that time yeah is it
1: so I studied sustainable development management um, mm-hmm. which is a bit of economics but also a lot of Um, how to create development programs or support development programs in developing countries. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people who want to work for nonprofits um, studied there. Some people who wanted to do kind of like international business direction studied there. We had people from all sorts of backgrounds, honestly. Uh, People were coming from social work bachelors, but also from, um, like engineering backgrounds and, 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 uh, and international business backgrounds. So it was a really interesting mix. Um, And from then on, I was really thinking I'm going to work for a nonprofit. Um, But I somehow got swept into the uh, world of social auditing, which is when uh, companies and brands like, for example, H&M will hire you to go to their factories in their supply chains and check on the social and environmental standards of the factory. So making sure there's no child labor, making sure the factories are safe. Um, It involves a lot of like document review, but also interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so I got certified as a social auditor and I'm now working for a big Um, importer who's importing textiles, but also foods. And I'm in charge of uh, the textiles part of the supply chain. So um, it also involves a bit of travel. And in my old job, um, I traveled, for example, to Bangladesh and India and Zimbabwe.
0: Um,
1: And in this current job, I just traveled in the past year to Turkey and Egypt. Mm So. Um, yeah, it's it's lovely because most of the time I'm sitting uh, working on Excel uh, sheets. So it's really nice to see, you know, what's the data behind it or yeah. to,
0: to really meet the workers and hear their stories. And it feeds into your um, really great desire to travel and see other cultures as well. So it's, it's a nice thing to have. Yeah, as well, absolutely.
1: Sometimes it's a bit difficult because I'm really in the in the country only to look at these factories and i'm in the factories for like 12 hours a day and i'm itching to you know go to a local market or get out and see see what this country is about but um (laughs) honestly hearing like the working classes stories you can learn so much about the the country the the problems the good things um Mm -hmm. and everything in between so
0: and i want to kind of touch on this in regards to what you mentioned earlier in our conversation about the issues of diversity when you talk to minorities. So now that you are actually traveling to these different countries, uh, some are developing countries, and you do hear the stories from the actual workers that are um, dealing with some, some of these issues on a daily basis, and sort of, Having that in mind and looking at the immigrants in the U.S. and the minorities in the U.S., does that sort of give you a full circle of what some of these folks are going through in their home countries and now moving to a different country, hoping for a better life, but then facing other issues? How does does that feel for you? I mean...
1: I absolutely feel like a hypocrite a lot of the time going to these factories and telling the management like, oh, you need to provide maternity leave, for example, when in the U.S. Mm-hmm. we don't have maternity leave. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I'm really, you know, pushing these things where I think, OK, the U.S. could do so much better. Mm -hmm. and they need social audits themselves and i'm sure they're probably sending people out to these other countries thinking oh they're Mm -hmm. worse but actually the working conditions in the u.s are terrible especially for immigrants and especially Mm -hmm. for um, undocumented immigrants who kind of fall into the cracks and and can be exploited Mm -hmm. um and i just wonder you know I'm sure I'm not really involved uh, because I'm not living in the US, but I'm really hoping there are organizations, you know, looking out for the well-being, but I really feel like most of these workers go under the radar and have terrible working conditions and pay and lack benefits and health care. So
0: it's, yeah,
1: yeah, just really upsetting. Um, and one of the other things, you know, we're always pushing for if uh, there are immigrants working in the factories they need to have all the contracts in their local language all of the um, pay documents need to be explained to them how their pay is calculated for example um, and basically all trainings and documents need to be in their in their language mm-hmm. um, i'm 100 percent sure that doesn't happen in the us
0: i <laughs> <No>, yeah <laughs> and i think that's one of the big issues as well because there is that language barrier and there is that Um, a a lot of the processes are unfamiliar for immigrants. And as you mentioned, one of the examples you gave was the visa situation. Obtaining a visa in Germany is a bit of a nightmare. Um, And especially looking at it as an expat, as somebody that um, was not uh, brought up in that culture and sort of knowing the uh, various channels that you have to, Reach to be able to get this visa. It reminded me of, for one thing, when when I lived in Germany and when I first moved to the US, the the, the challenges that we faced uh, with my parents as a family, and then I faced with my husband and then my own family in Germany. Um, there's there are a lot of unknowns, and there are a lot of things that you not only are not familiar with culturally and also process wise, but Adding that language on top of that, for instance, in Germany, I needed to figure out something with uh, regards to taxes for my for my work. Mm-hmm. And I work for a Dutch company, so that was not oh, in Germany. Gosh. As an American I'm working in Germany for a Dutch company, mm-hmm. it's just like... Talk about complicated um, <laughs> and calling the tax office. And this this was during the very first few months that I had moved to Germany. And um, nobody at the tax office in Hamburg would speak English, even though some of them could, but they're not mm-hmm. allowed to. And on top of that, they're not allowed to send uh, any documents or any correspondence via email. Um, at that time, that was not the way it was mm-hmm. done. And uh, now this is pre-COVID. A lot of times things were uh, done either in person or you had to... Send a physical letter, uh, correspondence with them to find out the information. And to me, that was one of the hardest things to deal with because one, I didn't know the language at all, and I remember having my phone next to my laptop with Google Translator. Oh my goodness! Going on, on <laughs> what audio. a nightmare! And they speak fast, and yeah. you know the translator couldn't translate everything, and so I would get bits and parts of information that. Who knows if they were right or wrong? I mean, it was an absolute nightmare. I think it took my company and myself, I I think, two or three months before I could even get onboarded to the company, before they could even hire me. And at one point, I remember sending my um, now boss an email saying, we've tried everything. It's just not working. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I would love to work for you, but it's just not working Understandable. Oh, no. And it's yeah, I mean, and you hear these stories from immigrants in the U.S. as well because you're not familiar with the process, you're not familiar with the, with the language, and it's just, I mean, it's just impossible I'm, to get yeah, through some of these. Yeah, I just situations.
1: it makes me honestly irate, Um and just the entire process um of <laughs> coming to Germany and being at the foreigners' office. It's a foreigner's office, an office for foreigners, but they are legally only allowed to speak German, or you have to bring yes. a translator. Translator. Mm-hmm. Um, which, luckily enough, you know, I had been in Austria and Germany for about a year before I had to go to the, the foreigner's office by myself. Um, but my German was pretty bad. And I just remember we were waiting in a hot, metal container and this was Oof. during the beginning dash middle of the syrian refugee crisis where a mm. ton of, of refugees were coming into germany and i was sitting in a box with a lot of people it was really hot there were, there were pregnant women there were kids there was no mm. water there were no chairs we were all just sitting on the ground yeah. waiting to enter the foreigner's office and so about eight hours later we enter and unfortunately well there was a, a Chinese student who was also trying to attend the same university as me, was in front of me, and they said, Come back with a translator. And he was like,
0: mm. No, you're
1: kidding. I speak perfect English. And they were like, Yeah, too bad. We only yeah. speak German. We can't help you. Yeah. So, I mean, I I try to help them. But, you know, also, you could only go so far with, like, I can order food by myself at that point in time yeah. to, Okay, I'm going to be like a legal translator, basically, and work you through a very complex process.
0: Um, well, that's the thing. I mean, the just the language itself. I mean, we're not talking about the daily language. We're talking yeah. about the legal kind of language that it's. And and the funny part was that um, I met a family um, in Hamburg. Uh, whose child was attending the same uh, daycare as my children were going to at that time. And we became very close friends to this date. We we could talk often and um, she's German. She's a lawyer. And she was telling me some of the the issues that I was raising and I was having these questions. And she's like, as a lawyer, the language that you're dealing with, for me, it's even hard to understand, let alone somebody who, First of all, there's a no German. Um, they, Like you mentioned, you can order food, you can get your groceries. you can. Mm-hmm. I could take care of my daily needs, but mm-hmm. looking at this ta- tax document, for example, or looking at this legal document or even a, uh, a rental contract that we were looking at, because you know those are extensive as well in some places. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you don't go through a company, you'd go through individuals and each person has their own different contract that you have to go through. And that was... That was another nightmare, too. And so she was telling me that it was like, as a lawyer, this is hard for me to understand, let alone somebody who's not familiar with this. So I fully understand. I've
1: been told that also by multiple German people, that they've been asked by their foreign friends to translate a letter or a document, and they cannot. And I get really frustrated with my my husband because I'm like, why don't you understand this? This is your <laughs> language. And he's like, I can't. I just can't. Really, I, have no, I He's like, I have no idea
0: what they want from you. I'm like, I don't either. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting thing because, uh, you know, at, and we do talk about a lot of times uh, about culture shocks when you move to a different country, about your struggles, about challenges. And um I'm always interested in topics that are uh, surrounding language itself but what we oftentimes forget also is that when we talk about languages you're, you're talking about various levels of languages you know yeah absolutely I, even with the you know for for instance you mentioned your husband you you know he probably gets the short end of the stick here a lot of times <laughs> because like, why can't you help me and he's like well this is not my Area of expertise, yeah, and I'm and I'm noticing this more and more as uh, dealing with various parts of life in general, and also if you're not dealing with certain words and certain sort of like topics in general, even if in your native language, like if somebody gives me a, a legal document in English, I would literally have to pull up a docu- a dictionary and be like, what the heck does this word mean? <laughs> like I don't- I know, but I have
1: the same, the same issue. I think I was stuttering before and like really struggling with English, even though it's my mother tongue, but just because I work in my job, like almost fully in German. So when I was explaining it to you, I was like, what are these
0: words? You know, these are not words I'm using all the time in English. I so relate with you because, um, So my mother tongue is Farsi and I speak English at home. My husband is American and my kids, I talk to, I try to talk to them in Farsi most of the times, but you know, of course the response is in English. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I literally get a headache when I have to translate and I forget words. And I feel like as I'm getting older and, um, I did have the mom brain excuse for a long time. I I feel like I can't (laughs) use that excuse anymore. How you can use long COVID as an excuse? (laughs) (laughs) There are times that I I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm pausing more and more when I speak. And there are times that people try to fill in the gaps that my my brain is trying to find the right words to come out. And most of the times I fail, I feel like. Does this happen <laughs> when
1: you're speaking English or when you're speaking Farsi? Both. Oh, Both, okay. <laughs> the,
0: worst, the worst of it is that, um, like you mentioned, you, during the day, you're exposed to one language predominantly, right? And then you try to speak to somebody in the other language and you're like, wait, 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 wait. My brain needs like a half hour to adjust, <laughs> first of all. I know, and it's and so, em- when it does, it's so it's embarrassing
1: it. because sometimes... I'm asking like my colleagues or my husband, what is this word in English? Or I'm using mm-hmm. the translator function really quickly so that nobody yes. sees because it's so embarrassing. And they're like, why are you asking me? You're the, in Germany, they always love using this. They call the native speaker. You're the native <laughs> speaker. Um and like, to a certain extent. I've, yeah, I'm like, I have been here for a long time, guys. And my mom also, sometimes we're on the phone and she's like, you know, that's not English, really. And I'm like, oh no, why? So I'm getting to a point where I really need to speak to more native speakers to kind of jog jog the brain. But I think if you are, especially if you're speaking in two languages daily, I think it's it's okay
0: you know have pauses (laughs) the struggle is real though Callie because there are times that I want to say a word and let's say I'm I'm speaking to you in English and the word is so clear and I'm a very visual person so I like literally see the word in front of me but it's in 4c but my brain thinks that it's in English so I (laughs) blurt it out and then the other person's like what what (laughs) I used to yeah. do this to my husband, and he would get frustrated. Now he's learned so much Farsi that he kind of gets what I'm saying. But oh, good! Towards the beginning, the <laughs> and my favorite example of it was, um, he he's an early riser and has always been, and so the the alarm clock would go off, and I would ask him in Farsi, "What time is it?" And he would be like, "What?" And in my brain, I'd be like, "I'm talking to you in English. Why can't you understand?" <laughs> I would repeat it louder and more frustrated. Oh my gosh! What? Yeah, (laughs) really mad. (laughs) Then he would be like, "You're not speaking English." (laughs) I just want you to know this. (laughs) But I feel like I'm my my poor brain has gotten to a point. And then, of course, add German to it too. When we lived in Germany, and there are certain words that are so engraved in my mind, even though we lived in Germany for such a short time, Mm -hmm. there are certain words that, for instance, "Kita." Mm-hmm. kita i always say it in, in german and my husband and i say kita I'm like hey, the going to kita and then the other parents are like going to where <laughs> what <is> This extracurricular <laughs> what activity you're talking about
1: <laughs> you're like no i'm just talking yeah. about daycare <laughs> just to... yeah but that's the thing is like so i speak fluent german now uh my husband and i can understand each other in both languages and we yeah. mix it up and i think oh, yes. that's what that's really messes my brain up is because then I will get on the phone with my mom and throw in German words that we've been throwing in because maybe they're better than the English alternative. I don't know. And, and then I'm really so embarrassed. Like I don't know why I keep doing this, but I think it's because, you know, on a daily basis, we're just mixing it up too often. And we should really, you know, have a divided line of okay it's
0: either this or that (laughs) but i don't think you should be embarrassed but i think it's actually and i i look at it as it's a nice thing because now i have a (laughs) yes it's it's inconvenient in some situations really but in in general you have now a, a more vast and colorful vocabulary that you can use now if you're lucky enough to talk to somebody like your husband you understand each other perfectly fine and i was Having a conversation with another guest who was telling me that her and her husband, they're both Brazilian, but they speak English. They live in Germany. Um, they will speak English. So there are like various English and Brazilian or Portuguese and you know, now German added to it as well. That's just like flying around in their household at all times. And it's perfectly fine when the two are talking. Yeah, and then add someone else and they're like, What are <laughs> you what language is this? <laughs> I cannot follow along. But it's it's interesting because I feel like as we live in various cultures and become more familiar with these things and it becomes more and more um, of a norm to us, as you said, if you bring somebody else, they're going to look at you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yesterday, I was at my mom's house and I was trying to tell my youngest to get his foot off the wall. He was sitting and he was just like, hey, has his foot resting on the wall and I was trying to tell him to get your foot off the wall. And I said it half in Farsi, half in English, because I couldn't remember what the word was for wall in Farsi. So I just said wall. And my mom, like, didn't even just, like, miss a beat. It's just like, okay. (laughs) And then I stopped myself. I said, mom, did you realize what I just said? And she said, well, yeah, you asked him to get his foot off the wall. I said, but no, did you realize what words in which languages I used? (laughs) she started laughing I was like yeah this is this is not good (laughs) Uh, I hope you enjoyed the first part of my conversation with Callie please join me for the second half of our talk thank you so much for listening again and please don't forget to follow and like this podcast until next time I wish you well